Advent Conspiracy. Over the next four Sundays of Advent, as we prepare our hearts and lives for the celebration of the coming of the Messiah, the Savior Jesus Christ, we're joining with hundreds of churches across America in conspiring to take back Christmas from what it was become to what it was meant to be. The ideas for this originated with three pastors, one from Oregon, one from Missouri, one from Texas, who in 2006 met together to pray and discuss how they could make Christmas a revolutionary event by encouraging their churches to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. The response was overwhelming. An Advent conspiracy was born. Doesn't it seem like there's some Christmas creep going on in our culture? I mean, there have been Christmas commercials on TV and ads in the mail for weeks now. We used to at least wait until after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, which now seems to be Black Thursday, to officially kick off the holiday season. Then it moved to right after Halloween. Now all the commercialism begins the very day after Labor Day. Something doesn't seem right about that, does it? This is a time when we should be focusing on and celebrating the salvation that has been provided when God sent His Son into the world. Not a time of craziness and stress over what presents we should buy for each person on our shopping list. seems to me that sometimes we lose sight of what Christmas is really all about as we get sucked into the maze of what we get and what we give. So this year, we're joining a conspiracy. The Advent Conspiracy. We're conspiring to take back Christmas from what it has become to what it was meant to be. Now one key element of this conspiracy is a special offering we're receiving throughout the Sundays of Advent. Offering envelopes for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries are inserted in your program today for this very purpose. Or you may simply write Advent in the memo of your check. Either way, your offering may be dropped in the offering bag anytime from now through December the 20th. Now, we're not wanting this offering to be yet one more thing on your Christmas list. Please understand that. And we're not wanting this to be an added cost to you this Christmas. On the contrary, we seriously want you to think about what you're spending. Perhaps buy less gifts, or instead of buying something, make something. And use those saved resources toward this special offering. This love offering will be given through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries for the Haiti Water Project to provide clean, safe water for those who do not have clean, safe water to drink. Maybe you're thinking, digging wells? Really? Well, despite the dry wells in our immediate area, frankly, we are living in the land of plenty. And having a drink of water is not something most of us would think of as a death-defying event. But in many countries, including Haiti, it really is. Did you know that waterborne illnesses are the leading causes of death in under-resourced countries? Each year, 1.8 million people die from waterborne illnesses. Now, to put that in perspective, remember the horror of 9-11 when nearly 3,000 people died in one day? Well, 1.8 million a year, that's nearly 5,000 people a day. And even more tragically... Nearly 4,000 of those who die each day from waterborne illnesses are children. Imagine something worse than 9-11 happening every single day. And it does. 
it is estimated that it would take about 10 to 15 billion dollars in the hands of Christian organizations like NCM to end the world's water crisis. Not in the hands of government agencies where corruption and theft are rampant, but in the hands of reputable Christian organizations. While 10 to 15 billion seems like a lot, when you compare that to the 450 billion that we Americans spent on Christmas gifts just last year, it's a reachable goal. And when we're able to reach people by providing one of the most basic needs for survival, clean water, we're then able to open the door to share the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the real message of Christmas, with them. The Haiti Water Project. It's all about clean water. Did you know that for one dollar you can provide clean water to one person for one year? So this is where our Advent Conspiracy offering will be going this year. Well, take your lesson notes from your program and turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. It's on page 1501 in the Pew Bible. The very first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. You're going to need your Bible today. This morning we're going to begin this Advent Conspiracy with a lesson entitled, Worship Fully. Actually, this is the place we must begin because ultimately, Christmas is all about worship. If we're going to take Christmas back from what it has become to what it was meant to be, then this is the starting point. I'm afraid that so often when we hear the word worship, we immediately think of music. And certainly singing is one way we express our worship, but worship is so much more than just a song. Write this down in your notes. Worship is a whole life expression. Worship is a whole life expression. Everything we do, say, and think 24-7 is an act of worship to God. Perhaps this is nowhere more apparent than in the lives of people who were involved in the very first Advent. As we explore the lives of the individuals or groups of individuals usually associated with the traditional Christmas story, we see them worshiping as a whole life expression. Let's take a look at six of these individuals or groups and see what we can learn from their examples today. Beginning with Joseph. Follow along in your Bible as I read Joseph's story. Here in Matthew chapter 1, we pick it up with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her 
until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So how did Joseph express his worship? He obeyed. He obeyed. Don't miss those words in verse 24. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And to worship fully, we too must be obedient. Now many of us have heard Joseph's part in the Christmas story so many times that it fails to even have an impact upon us. Big deal. Took Mary home to be his wife. Well, we've got to realize this was not just some marriage in a little village in Israel. The woman Joseph took to be his wife was pregnant. She was at least three months along and Joseph found out only shortly before their actual wedding day. Just imagine, on the eve of your wedding, you find out that your fiancé is three months pregnant and you know it's not by you. In fact, she's been visiting relatives for the past three months and she hasn't been around you. People are going to do the math. They're going to know the child isn't yours. Your whole world is rocked. Your friends and family are telling you to dump this girl. But then you have a dream. And an angel tells you it's okay to marry her. (laughs) Imagine explaining that to your family and friends. I know I was going to dump her, but I had a dream and God sent this angel to tell me that I'm to go ahead and marry her. Oh, really? Yeah. But Joseph believes and he obeys immediately without hesitation. And that is worship, folks. Lord, I trust that you are in this. I've been seeking you and I believe that you're behind what is happening. So even though I don't understand it, I'm going to obey and do what you have told me to do. And the Heavenly Father used Joseph to be the earthly father of his only son. Wow. So let me ask you, what is God asking you to do today? Are you listening? Will you obey? Let's read Deuteronomy 8 and verse 6 out loud together. Obey the commands the Lord your God has given you as you worship Him. See, obedience and worship go hand in hand. Which brings us to the example of Mary. Keep your Bible marked there in Matthew. We're going to come back there in a little while. And turn with me now to Luke chapter 1. It's on page 1591 if you're using the Pew Bible. The Gospel of Luke, the very first chapter. Here we read yet another familiar account of the first Advent, the first Christmas, and we see how Mary worshipped. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Luke chapter 1, we pick it up with verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. wonder what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So, how did Mary express her worship? She submitted She submitted. Don't miss her response to the angel's announcement in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Submission. And to worship fully, we too must be submissive. Now someone's sure to ask, well, what's the difference between obedience and submission? Aren't they the same thing? No. They're certainly related, but they are different. How so? Well, obedience is an outward action. Submission is an inward attitude. Let me illustrate the difference for you. A little boy gets in trouble for his misbehavior and his mom tells him to go sit in the corner on a timeout. A little while later, his mother walks by and the boy announces, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> See the difference? The son was obedient, but he wasn't submissive. Mary worshipped the Lord by submitting her will to the will of God. She wasn't sitting on the outside while standing on the inside. No, she was fully submitted to God's will for her life. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She knew and believed that God's will is always best, even when things were not as she would have maybe planned them. Even when she knew that her submission might in fact get her stoned to death, that was the law. Even when she knew that it was likely that Joseph would abandon her and her family and community would ostracize her, and yet she was submissive. So let me ask you, are you submitting your will to God's will today? Is it your prayer as it was Jesus' prayer? Not what I will, but what you will, Father. The writer of Hebrews comments even further on Jesus' Gethsemane experience. In Hebrews 5 and verse 7, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, and He was heard because of His worshipful submission. I like that. Worshipful submission. That pretty much says it all. Then there's the example of Elizabeth. Hope you still have your Bible open to Luke 1. Let's read about Mary's Aunt Elizabeth and her response to Mary's pregnancy and the impending birth of Jesus. We pick it up with verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So how did Elizabeth express her worship? She celebrated. She celebrated. Again, verse 41 tells us, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who by the way was John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 44, Elizabeth tells Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. (laughs) Some of you ladies who have carried children are probably going, oh, that sounds like it hurt. (laughs) But you see, John the Baptist, even in the womb, he got it. Elizabeth got it. And to worship fully, we too must celebrate. Now what I'm going to say here might be offensive to some of you. But let me just ask, why are we so afraid to express our joy as Christians? Why are we so cautious about celebrating, about letting go and cutting loose in our worship? We are so restrained. But not Elizabeth. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, in a loud voice, she exclaimed. (laughs) I wonder if Elizabeth would be welcomed in most of our churches today. Shh, excuse me. We can't have any of that filled with the Holy Spirit stuff in this church. Please keep your voice down, Elizabeth. We don't want to get carried away. Read Philippians 4, verse 4 out loud with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. (laughs) That wasn't too bad, but that was something we need to try again. Let's read it the way Paul meant it here. Read it with me again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I think the expanded Bible captures the essence of Paul's words here the best. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, throw a party and revel in Him. So let me ask you, what is your joy level this morning? Are you willingly and openly celebrating the Lord in worship? Next comes the example of the angels. Still have your Bible open? I hope so. Flip over a chapter to Luke chapter 2, and let's read the advent, the actual story of the night of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, we pick it up with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were shepherds living out on the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's zero in first in this story on the angels. How did the heavenly hosts express their worship? They praised. They praised. Look again at verses 13 and 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Praise. And to worship fully, we too must learn how to praise. Now, praise is defined as the expression of approval or admiration for someone or something. Common synonyms include exaltation, acclaim, tribute, laud, commendation, acclamation, applause, admiration. When we research the three Hebrew words in the Old Testament, the one Greek word in the New Testament most often translated praise, we discover that the emphasis in the Bible is simply on recognizing and acknowledging the attributes of God, who He is, His very nature. It's acclaiming His character traits, paying tribute to Him, commending Him, applauding Him. The whole purpose of praise, you see, is to exalt God to the place that He alone can occupy because He is who He is. Psalm 48 and verse 1 declares, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The book of Psalms is in many ways a book of praise. In fact, the word praise is used 162 times in the Psalms. If you desire to learn how to truly praise God, I simply recommend you look up all 162 times this word is used in Psalms. And as you do so, you will discover that praise is essentially expressed in two ways. Words and actions. Words and actions. Now how do we praise God with our words? Psalms mentions three ways. Speaking, our praise, shouting our praise, and singing our praise. And how do we praise God with our actions? Psalms mentions expressions like clapping, which by the way, did you know that clapping is in sign language synonymous with praise? It's not something some church invented to keep beat with the music. No, God desires us to clap to His name because it's the way we praise Him. Or how about kneeling? Or bowing? Or lifting our hands? Yeah. No, that wasn't some charismatic church that invented lifting hands during worship. God, in fact, tells us in Psalms that He wants us to lift our hands to Him. It is an expression of our praise. 
And He desires us to do it. It doesn't have to do with whether we're comfortable with it or not. It's what God wants. <laughs> then there's leaping. Yeah, try that one. Or dancing. Or maybe playing an instrument. All of those are actions expressing our praise. So let me ask you, are you praising God with your words and your actions? A vital part of worshiping fully is learning how to praise completely. Next comes the example of the shepherds. Now it's still in the same story we just read, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. But look again at verses 15 through 18. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Don't miss this. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So, how did the shepherds express their worship? They witnessed. They witnessed. They spread the word. They told everyone they met about Jesus. And to worship fully, we too must witness. What if the shepherds had kept the good news of Jesus' birth to themselves? What if they had just quietly slipped back to their flocks on the hillside near Bethlehem and went back to the routine of their lives? (laughs) No. Once these shepherds had a personal encounter with Jesus, they just couldn't keep it to themselves. Now we don't read about these shepherds again in Scripture, but I cannot help but imagine that their lives were changed. Whatever the future may have held for them, the one thing we do know is that they witnessed, they shared their newfound faith in Jesus with others. So let me ask you, are you actively and openly witnessing to others? Wouldn't it be odd for us to come together on a Sunday like today, have an encounter with Jesus, and then quietly slip home and go back to the routine of our lives? The shepherds didn't do it. How could we? Jesus said in Acts 1 and verse 8, You shall be my witnesses. Being a witness is who we are. Sharing our faith is what we do. But Pastor Mark, you don't understand. Evangelism isn't really my gift. What? Read Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4 out loud with me. Pray for us that God will give us many chances to preach the good news of Christ. Pray that I will be bold enough to tell it freely and fully and make it plain. It's a great prayer. And the Apostle Paul's prayer request here should be our prayer request as well. Worshiping fully means witnessing openly. Finally, we come to the example of the Magi. Turn back with me now to Matthew, this time to chapter 2. It's on the same page, 1501 of the Pew Bible that we were on earlier. And as you're turning to the story about the Magi, the wise men, let me remind you that this is not actually a part of the original Advent. 
The truth is, the story takes place some 18 to 24 months after Jesus' birth. But since we often include this in our celebration of Christmas, I've chosen to include it in today's lesson, especially since it illustrates yet another another vital ingredient in worshiping fully. So follow along in your Bible as I read. Matthew chapter 2, we pick it up with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now the verses that immediately follow, we find out that Herod was really upset in hearing this, threatened in fact. He called together everybody he could find to try to determine what the wise men were talking about and found out there was a prophecy about a Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. Which brings us to verse 7. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child as soon as you find him report to me so that I may go to and worship him. Yeah, right. After they'd heard the king, verse 9, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So how did the Magi express their worship? They sacrificed. They sacrificed. Once again, verse 11 tells us, they bowed down and worshipped Him. Then they opened their treasures and presented Him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Giving. Sacrifice. And to worship fully, we too must sacrifice. Of course, the principle of sacrifice in relationship to worship had its origin with the altar and burnt offerings of the Old Testament. Beginning with the patriarchs who built altars and offered sacrifices on behalf of themselves and their families, the sacrifice became a central part of Jewish worship. In fact, there were were five major sacrifices in the Old Testament. The burnt offering, the grain or meal offering, the peace or fellowship offering, the sin offering, and then the trespass or guilt offering. I believe that there's one story in particular that illustrates the heart of what all these sacrifices were about. In 2 Samuel 24, David sins against God by taking an unauthorized census of the fighting men in Israel. When God sends a plague killing 70,000 people in judgment for David's sin, David turns the tide of God's anger by offering burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. Following the prophet Gad's directions, David went up to the threshing floor of a man named Arana to build an altar for these sacrifices. Now, Arana, when he saw it was the king, wanted to freely give his threshing floor and the animals that David needed to do these sacrifices. But David replies in verse 24, No! I will pay you for it. I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. Did you see that? I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. The heart of sacrifice is, well, sacrifice. A sacrifice costs us something. It isn't a sacrifice if there isn't a price to be paid. So, 
Let me ask you, what are you sacrificing to God in worship today? What are you offering that actually cost you something? What are you giving to God that requires you to pay a price? Again, this is one of the goals of Advent Conspiracy, to spend less so that we can give more as we love all. And one of the tangible ways we can do that is through this special offering for the Haiti Water Project. But aside from that, the bottom line here is this. Our worship should cost us something. It isn't a sacrifice if there isn't a price to be paid. Advent Conspiracy. On this first Sunday of Advent, we've kicked off this new series with the first of four principles that will help us to take back Christmas from what it has become to what it was meant to be. Worship fully. This is the starting point. This is where we must begin. Worship. Worship is a whole life expression. Everything we do, say, and think 24-7 is an act of worship to God. And perhaps nowhere is that better illustrated than in the lives of the people who were involved in the very first Advent. This morning we've looked at six of these individuals or group. Joseph worshipped as he obeyed. Mary worshipped as she submitted. Elizabeth worshipped as she celebrated. The angels worshipped as they praised. The shepherds worshipped as they witnessed. The magi worshipped as they sacrificed. Obedience, submission, celebration, praise, witness, and sacrifice. Folks, that is how we worship fully. By the way, there were two others, an individual and a group, who were involved in that very first Advent. And they too were associated with the traditional Christmas story, but they are not examples to us of worship. On the contrary, their responses to Jesus are to be avoided. Who am I talking about? The first one's Herod. And what was Herod's response to Jesus? He was intolerant. He was intolerant. He rejected Jesus. In fact, he was threatened by this newborn king and he opposed him, didn't he? If we were to continue to read the rest of the story in Matthew 2, we would see that Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And isn't this the response of some in our world today to the Christmas story? To Jesus? Intolerance. Then there's the example of the Jewish leaders. And out of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the chief priests and teachers of the law, respond to Jesus? They were indifferent. They were indifferent. (laughs) That just blows me away. They ignored Jesus. In fact, they don't even appear in the original Advent story. They were MIA, absent and unaccounted for. And isn't this the response of most people in our world today to the Christmas story and to Jesus? Indifference. Right now, somebody's driving on their way to the mall, (laughs) not even thinking about what Christmas is all about. The reason for the season. Jesus. Indifference. I want to call Norma and Donna to come back to lead us in some worship. 
And as they're coming, there's let me just say this. There's going to be no intolerance or indifference at Springville Church of the Nazarene this year. <laughs> we are conspiring to take back Christmas from what it has become to what it is meant to be. And that means our response to Jesus is going to be to worship fully. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to spend some time singing together, expressing our worship to the Lord. Will you surrender your all to Jesus in full worship today?